Today's actually a good day to be here. I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about because a lot of us live with certain, uh, some, some, maybe some decisions that are unresolved or things about your life that are uncertain. And I think today's message may help you see with a little bit more clarity if there's anything that you're trying to decide or figure out. Uh, maybe you've got a decision about related to work or a decision related to uh, your living situation or how you're using your time. Maybe there's a concern in your life, um, maybe an area that you're trying to navigate um, and something you're some, somewhat unsure about. Or maybe, maybe you've got a purchase you're considering making and maybe some other way to use your money or you're doing some family planning. All, all these different kinds of ways that you might be in, in a little bit of a sorting process. And I think today's content might help you with that. So if, if bring, bring to mind a decision that you need to make or something you're wrestling with, maybe even write it down at the top of your paper and we'll, we'll, circle, we'll circle back to it later. I was wrestling with something myself yesterday uh, or this weekend. I had the chance to help speak at a, uh, an evangelism conference in our, we're part of a Southern Baptist Association, and so I, w I went to go help out the association and, and share a little bit about evangelism, particularly what we do for sports camp, which is a big outreach program we've done a few times in the summer. And so I got to speak about that, and it was during a week, uh, this weekend, where I didn't have a lot of extra time. Uh, my wife Erin is in Colorado visiting some, some folks that were, were members of our church last year, and... So I had all kids by myself. In fact, this morning when we got up and I you know, did put out road signs and came here early, I brought all four kids early with me. And so this whole weekend, you know, I've been wrestling with all that I have to do. And I, I had this conference that I sort of had a bad attitude about. And I was, I was grumbling and complaining, mostly internally, but then also when I was talking to Aaron on the phone, I was complaining that I had to go do this conference and, and share, because it's a drive out to Ojai and all this. And, um, Anyways, I was about to, so I'm like, all right, I, I finally had a slot of time. I had like, I think the kids were watching a movie and I opened up my computer to start working on preparing my speech. And as soon as I put my fingers on the keys, my computer went black, it totally shut down. And um, it's, new, it's a new computer, by the way, so this hasn't happened before. And um, I, I tried all the button combinations that you can to like get a computer rebooted, nothing was working. And while I'm sitting there looking at a black screen and a lot to do, um, I felt the Lord convicting me about my bad attitude about this project. And so immediately, I don't know if, you know, when weird things like that happen, I don't know what your first thought is, but at least in this situation, I felt pretty sure God turned off my computer to uh, point out my bad attitude. So I just sat there praying about confessing um, that I was lacking in faith, that he would provide what I need for the weekend, that he would use me and that he was the one that set up this opportunity. So I confessed that. I even confessed it out loud, even though I was sitting by myself. And um, just it took a few minutes to pray for the conference and for the people that would be there, getting my heart turned in the right direction. And um, I opened my computer and it turned right back on. <laughs> and then I was able to work and get, get prepared for the thing. So um, that was one thing that I was wrestling with this weekend. And I, I think it's really interesting sometimes the way that God intervenes in our life and interacts in, in very real situations, even with, with technical equipment. So what I'm excited about today specifically, as far as what we're going to look at in the Bible, is we're looking at some of the really shocking statements that Jesus would make and that caught people by surprise, like really throw them off. 
And he would say things that just seemed so bold and so audacious and so unreasonable that it really challenged people, and it still does. And so in this series, as we look at some of his shocking statements, you might feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe this month, if you've been here, you, felt, you, you find yourself responding with, man, you've got to be kidding me. Like, did Jesus really say that? Or that can't possibly be what Jesus meant. Like, you've got to be kidding. So for each message, we've been drawing from the historical accounts found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is one of the disciples of Jesus, and he was there hearing and listening and um, writing down all the things that Jesus said. Uh, and he, he recorded these life-altering dialogues. So, so far we've looked at three really shocking statements from Jesus, and today's another one. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start looking in verse 21. There's this transition period in this gospel. It says, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. So this is a little bit further along in Jesus's ministry where he is actually just saying out loud to people or to his disciples that he's going to die. And he's pre- he predicts his own death and he predicts his own resurrection. And you got to think anybody that can, can predict their own death and their own resurrection and it happens, they probably know something. And this, this death and Resurrection has been historically verified. But at this time, the disciples, hearing this news, would have felt like probably like a horrible storm cloud of news in an otherwise exciting ministry. And so the response, when Jesus predicts his death and resurrection, the response from Peter, Peter, it says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. So I think it's interesting that Peter feels like he can contradict Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, a fairly arrogant thing to do if you think about it. You know, like, can you really argue with Jesus? Could, you, could, you, could Jesus say one thing and then you just go and say the opposite? If we give Peter the benefit of the doubt, I would, I would assume that this rebuke, it comes from good intentions. I'm assuming that Peter loves Jesus. He wants good things for him. Uh, actually, his intentions, maybe, maybe, maybe you shouldn't rebuke Jesus, but maybe his intentions are honorable and um, even compassionate. Peter didn't want to see his Lord, and really, by now, this friend, this really close, deep friend and Lord, he didn't want him to die. He couldn't bear the thought of Jesus suffering. And, and to be killed? No, like, no way. No way can this happen. And so Jesus' response back to Peter is, it says 23, Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. I got to figure it would be hard to imagine anything else that would have shocked Peter more than these words. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. So, Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus counter-rebukes Peter. And the disciples are watching. <laughs> Jesus called Peter Satan or something. You know, he, they're like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, watch out. Did you just see what happened? I can't believe it. He, Peter just got shut down. 
and or or maybe maybe they were thinking the same thing and they they, they just didn't say it out loud and they're like oh yikes i was going to say that and peter beat me to it i what is going on? What's going on here? And so Peter is probably standing in front of Jesus. Jesus just looking directly into his eyes. Did you just call me Satan? <laughs> Are you saying I'm a hindrance to you? Jesus, I have nothing. I left everything for you. Like, I, I'm your number one guy. I, am, I, I only want to support you, and you're calling me a hindrance. Like, you got to be kidding. This is the response. I think it could be argued that Peter was the most loyal follower of Jesus on the planet at this time. Only verses before, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a bold proclamation. And then Jesus, a few verses earlier, says, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So there's, there's, some, there's some solid loyalty here. So Peter's probably bewildered about this counter-rebuke. And that phrase, get behind me, Satan, it's addressed to Peter. How do you make sense of that? Whether Peter was possessed by Satan or whether he was influenced or some deceived in some way, to whatever degree Peter was affected by Satan, he's being played. Peter's being used by Satan in this moment to attempt, it's really an attempt to stop the work of God. Peter was dissuading. Actually, Satan, through Peter, was discouraging Jesus from going to the cross. And I think if one of Jesus' most loyal followers can be duped and deceived by Satan, then we should probably conclude that any one of us is capable of being deceived by Satan as well. I would imagine I could be as I could be tricked just like he was. We may have the best intentions. Peter probably had the best intentions. And yet we could be completely off the mark. Our perspective could be so twisted and we not even realize it. And, and I, I would guess this, this danger of being tricked by the enemy is probably why there's so many New Testament commands to be alert to the enemy. In fact, if you look at 1 Peter, letter that Peter himself wrote, and he, he, he writes, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. It would seem reasonable to me that Peter had this situation with Jesus in mind when he wrote these words, like, be alert. I was tricked. I was totally taken by, by Satan myself. So, Jesus is headed to the cross. Peter tries to discourage that. How did Peter get off track? What is the way that he got so influenced by Satan? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, Peter, you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Jesus just described that he was going on this necessary path of death and sacrifice, and Peter resisted that idea. He didn't like that. And like Peter, we sometimes resist, sometimes we even react to any notion of sacrifice. God may be calling us to make sacrifices, and we, we react to that really quickly. It's, it feels very distasteful, like, surely God, God would not want this. He would not want, he would not want pain. He would not want um, suffering. He would not want any, anything, even death. This, how could God want those things? 
And while we admit that probably it was arrogant for Peter to contradict and argue with Jesus, really for anyone just to outright rebuke the son of the living God and say like, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You know, it may be tempting to ridicule Peter, but I think there's a strong pull for us to do the same thing. I think perhaps any time that we question God, maybe we, we question God, say, well, God, why are you letting this happen? Like, no, there shouldn't be pain here. I shouldn't be going through this. I shouldn't be suffering. Maybe, maybe in those moments, we too are arrogant like Peter, saying like, God, no, it's wrong. This should not be. Even Jesus himself didn't want to suffer. Later, when he was in the garden, he asked God to take away. He said, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He didn't, you know, he, he was a human. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to go through that. But, he, but Jesus said, yet not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. And so Jesus was determined to obey God. He was willing to die. And he had to set his face like flint, like stone, and just stride forward in the direction of the cross. And then here comes Peter, discouraging Jesus from following through. This is why Jesus said, no, you're, you're a hindrance to me right now. I have to focus on this mission, and you're, and you're trying to slow me down. So this, this thing of God's concerns and human concerns, when, when you read this, like what's, what, is, what does that even mean? What, what, how would you know if you were focused on God's rather than human concerns? And I think God's concerns often involve faith, service, and sacrifice. Certainly for Jesus, his, this, his, his journey required a lot of faith and trusting God to take care of him and to vindicate him in the end. It involved a lot of service. It was really for the benefit of others that Jesus went to the cross in obedience and then sacrifice. You can see all three of these things in Jesus' path of obedience. So those, those, those are God's concerns, I believe. And I think human concerns often involve conservation, comfort, and ease. Try to preserve and conserve, you know, um, things that are comfortable. And the, by the way, these are my summaries. These are kind of out of my study. I think I, I, when Jesus used the phrase human concerns and God concerns, he might have had more in mind than this, but this is what I've, this is my summary. But those human concerns are kind of when we're more interested in playing it safe. Hey, let's do what's reasonable here. Let's do what feels right in the moment. I wanna do what's comfortable. I'm gonna keep my life neatly ordered. I'm going to insulate myself from any unnecessary pain and sacrifice. And that makes sense to us. Like, what, what human being would naturally pick sacrifice over comfort and ease? No, nobody wants that naturally. And to elaborate, so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach it. A very important concept for life. Now that he has everyone's attention, and there's this showdown between Peter and him, he... He elaborates something very important. It's a little confusing, but what he says, verse 24, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So he's saying, you want to save your life? That's the person who's thinking about conservation. And generally, this is seen as a noble desire, like, oh, like, preserve life is a good thing. 
And the person who loses his life, only reckless people do that. Just reckless, weird people are willing to lose their life. This is, a, this is a really strange way of seeing reality. He goes on, 26, he says, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each one according to what he has done. He's saying you could gain the whole world, you could gain every dollar, you could gain every pleasure, every creature comfort, you could tour all the sites, experience all the good things. And all, you, could, you could have all the things that make up the good life. And all the while, these human concerns are choking out real life. I think human concerns are suffocating. The things that we normally chase after, things that we're normally motivated for, they actually suffocate the kind of life that Jesus actually has for us. Peter couldn't see properly. He was looking at the situation with Jesus, and his vision was distorted. And so whenever we're thinking, not about God's concerns, but human concerns, we, we also can't see properly. Our vision is distorted, and, and real life is getting suffocated. So... If you kind of summarize the message of today so far, you know, it's kind of about death and suffering and sacrifice and it's like, give up your life. And if you don't, Jesus might call you Satan. And that's, that, is, is that the message of today? Like, you got to be kidding. Why did, I, why did I come to church today? <laughs> this, is, this is, where's all the hope in all of this? It's there. There's, there's a brilliant ray of sunshine that pierces through this passage that really, it seems on the surface, when I read this, it seems like a morbid, uh, gloomy passage. I don't know if you call it the ray of sunshine. They're, they're these human concerns, the things that normally preoccupy our attention, they add up to a life that's no good. They add up to a life that ends up very disappointing. And Jesus is saying, I think, I will show you how to find the life you really want. I am for you. It may not seem like it at first because if you walk my path, there will be pain. But there is a reward that far outweighs any ounce of pain. And for some of you here today, some of this might begin to resonate with you because maybe you feel like there's something missing. Maybe your life has been preoccupied with trying to get things put together. And, and no matter what you do, something feels like it's missing inside somewhere in your life. And you're like, I don't think I have the real life. It's out, it's, somehow it's outside of me, no matter how much I pursue it. And you know that. Jesus wrote these, he said these things for people like you and me. So this concept, is, it's, like the, it's a very upside down, difficult concept to grasp. This passage, I don't know if you've been in church or read, read your Bible before, sometimes maybe you've read this, you know, lose your life, gain it, gain your life, lose it. It's sort of confusing about how this works out in reality. It takes a while to change our perspective. And because of that, I want to give you an illustration of how this has played out in uh, recent decades. I want to show you um, a photo of some missionaries. Um, there were some, some men decades ago, five guys that were friends. Uh, one was Jim Elliott, one was Nate Saint, and they went into the Amazon to share the gospel with the Alka Indians, which were known um, 
as headhunting, uh, very violent people. Anytime anyone would try to go near the, these Indians, they'd, they'd often get murdered by them. And so if these five guys flew in that yellow airplane into a small strip of sand and, uh, to bring the gospel, and they were all five speared to death uh, on the first day of making uh, contact with them. And I want to show you a video that summarizes this story. And it's narrated, it's just a brief video, it's narrated by Steve Saint, who's the son of one of the men who was killed, the pilot of the airplane. So Steve Saint was just five years old when he found out his dad was speared to death by Indians, trying to take the gospel to these Indians, and he reflects on that right now. So check this out. Even though iTech was officially founded in Central Florida in 1996, the idea first came to life in the same place where five young missionaries were killed deep in the Amazon. God began writing this story almost 70 years ago when he called my dad, Nate Saint, along with Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and Pete Fleming, all recently married and starting families to take the gospel to unreached tribes in the Ecuadorian jungle. The Waurani were people characterized by violence. As the industries of the modern age clashed with the Stone Age peoples inhabiting the jungle, attacks on settlements were not uncommon. This violence was also common within the tribe who were formerly known to the local Quechuas as Aucas or savages. With a homicide rate of nearly 60%, many in the Waurani tribe did not live to even the age of 30. In late 1955, the five missionaries began regular flights over Waurani territory becoming the first Westerners to establish peaceful contact with this tribe. After months of exchanging gifts with the Waurani, all five missionaries, including my dad, were killed at the end of Waurani Spears. The event which occurred on that small beach in the rainforests of Ecuador has become one of the most widely known acts of martyrdom in the last century that out of this apparent tragedy is coming a wonderful note of victory. To try to evaluate what these men have done in human terms is indeed difficult. To think of this martyrdom of five valiant men on a material basis is indeed absurd. It is on the high spiritual elevation of love of Christ and of his gospel more than the love of self. To most people, the death of my dad, my hero, would seem to be a tragic end to the story. But God was only just beginning to write a story that would display boldness, sacrifice, and gospel transformation. The sacrifice and efforts of these five men laid a foundation which allowed Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, and my Aunt Rachel to live with the tribe through their work, a number of the tribe began to walk God's trail, leaving behind their violent ways and celebrating their new life following Wangungi's trail. 
The tribe became family, and Minkai, one of the men who speared my dad, adopted me as one of his own. Years later, two of the other men whose spears killed my dad baptized me in the same river where he died. Only God could write this story of relentless love and redemption. After Aunt Rachel died, the Gikiteidi clan of Waurani asked that we move to the Ecuadorian jungle to live with them. During my time amongst the tribe, I wondered what I could do for them that Western missionaries were not already doing. The Waurani told me, we don't want you to come do for us. We want you to teach us how to do the things that the outsiders have been doing for us. They ultimately wanted to meet the needs of their own tribe and then to use those skills to reach their own people with the gospel. I realized that the command of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was given to all believers, including the Waurani believers. Amazingly, the Waurani who killed Dad and his four friends in 1956 laid the blueprint for iTech that we still use today. Since the mid-1990s, God has faithfully provided iTech a growing team and facility dedicated to inspire Great Commission participation of all believers. Today, the iTech team develops tools and training systems, trains Christ followers around the world, and equips others to do the same both domestically and abroad. We do this with the belief that God has uniquely equipped all believers to participate in the Great Commission. It's a very compelling story. It's a very compelling story of five guys that paid the ultimate sacrifice. Um, it's, it's pretty hard, that's a five minute video, but it's really, really hard to capture how profound this story is and um, the ripple effect that has occurred from what happened on the beach that day over, over the past, you know, I can maybe 50 to 70 years. Um, there's been waves of blessing washing over countless people in different countries, all languages all over the world. Um, all the, the wives that were connected to those men have done amazingly profound things for the advance of the kingdom. Um, it's incredible. Out, out of curiosity, is, has anybody ever heard of this story before? Jim Elliott and um, he had, you know, maybe about half the people here have heard about it before. I, was, I thought you might be familiar with it. I don't know if you've followed this man, Steve Saint, the son of Nate Saint. And uh, I do want to actually show you one more video clip of him because it's going to maybe convert into a little bit more practical life for you, this next video. Uh, this video is of Steve saying he was working on aircraft equipment for missions work, and he was injured when a huge piece of equipment fell on his head and broke his neck and paralyzed him. He became a quadriplegic, and they got a video of him a few days after the accident while he's still in the hospital bed. <laughs> and um, you'll never believe what he says while he's sitting there lying paralyzed. Um, and keep in mind, this guy lost his dad when he was five years old. You'd think 
that would be bad enough. Like, and um, there's actually other tragedy. If you follow his story, there's other really, what seems to be horrific tragedy in his life. You're like, how, how bad can one guy get it? And, but check out what he says. accident was a week ago. At iTech we'd like to experiment with different things. That's why we've been able to invent the things we have. This experiment actually worked better than I expected. You know, it was just a safety strap that broke and the next thing I knew people were talking around me and I saw Puffy's clouds in this little window and then I saw helicopter blades going through the window and I realized I was in a medevac hel helicopter on my way to Shands Hospital in Gainesville near where our iTech R&D center is in Dunellen. I can tell you I've never felt this helpless before and the pain and the fear of drowning in my own saliva you know, my compassion for paraplegics, wow. And, and my new respect for doctors and nurses and my sweet wife, Jenny, and all my caregivers. Here's the update. I'm scheduled for surgery tomorrow to try to relieve the pressure on my spinal cord that is keeping me from moving. Well, I mean, actually, this is, this is a week's worth of work. And people tell me that's, that's pretty good. But I know there's a lot of things I'm going to have to learn over again. And some of them I'm going to have to re-relearn. You know, one of the big things has been just having people show me where my hand is. People say, lift your hand. And I think it's on one side of the bed. And then it turns out it's on the other side of the bed. How in the world can anybody move a hand that's in the wrong place? <laughs> how to walk again, how to move my fingers. Well, I'll tell you what. In this last six days, I have been through more pain than I ever imagined possible. But you know what the amazing and encouraging thing to me is that honestly, not one time have I wondered or wanted to ask God why this happened. You know, when we were interviewing Aunt Barbara Udarian for Beyond the Gates of Splendor, one of the guys that I took down to the jungle said, Barbara, here you were out in the jungles, a young mother, a young wife, had your whole life ahead of you, and then one day you find out that when your husband flew off with Nate Saint to make contact with another pe people group that they had killed him, your whole life had changed. And then what he said is, I just gotta know, Barbara, when you ask God why, what did he say? You know what her answer was? 
her answer was, well, you know, I guess it just never occurred to me to ask him why. And I just thought, how in the world do you get to that kind of point in life where you don't even ask God why when your whole life turns upside down? And now look, it's happened to me. You know, I know that God has compassion on his people, whether they know they're his or not, and he wants to have relationship with them. And I think that if we're going to tell the world about Jesus, that we're going to have to do it in new and creative ways. That's what I've gotten to do over the last years. But let me invite you, if God is prompting you to get out there and get involved in the fray, then please do it. And if you've been looking for a place to find a home in ministry, let me suggest Team iTech. If you feel like you're all thumbs, <laughs> come on, join the crowd. I'm there too. If God's asking you to do something, help get out a newsletter or give so other people can go. I'm inviting you to be a part of iTech if you don't already have a ministry. Let's give me everything. No holds barred. Nothing held back. You know, he only expects us to give him what we have. For some of us, that's not very much. Certain points in our life, it's enough. Thanks. Steve Saint did go on to recover, and not fully, but a significant bit, and just continued to do amazing work in missions and around the globe speaking at things. And you think, how many, how many bad things can happen to one guy? But you, even when he's laying paralyzed, you can hear a tone of joy in his voice. He's even cracking jokes while he's laying there, smiling, paralyzed in bed. From that original five men who were killed as missionaries, their families, from, from these families has come a river of blessing that has been pouring out of their lives. On the surface, it looks like a tragedy, and maybe some people would even watch these videos and say, like, no, it's, they got ripped off. It's a tragedy, but it's not. None of them would say it was a tragedy. For these people, the, out of their lives and their words and their videos and their books and the relationships flows so much life and so much vitality and beauty and laughter even, and gratitude, and innumerable lives have been changed eternally through what's been done there. There is a cheerful, upbeat hope that not even death or loss or paralysis could squash. None of that gets squashed. These people have tasted what Jesus tasted. Five men, their wives, and their children have picked up their crosses, and they followed Jesus. And I believe their reward will be so great. At the end of that video, I don't know if you could quite hear what he was saying, but he said, 
give God all you've got. Come on, let's give God all we've got. No holds barred, nothing held back. He only expects us to give him what we have. And for some of us, that's not very much, but it's enough. I wonder, I wonder if some people had ever tried to discourage Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and all those guys from going into those dangerous situations and say like, no, you shouldn't do that. There's danger. And I wonder if the phrase ever came to their minds, get behind me, Satan. I know the Lord has called us to this. For each man and those five wives, they, they all knew the risk. And they all believed that God was leading them straight into it. I wish I could show you the video from the wives. I almost showed you one more video. It's, it's so good hearing how they process what happened. But um, as you consider this, so I, what, I was, what I wanted to do was to bring to life what Jesus is saying here. So let me just, just listen to this. I'm going to read what I read earlier. I'm just going to read Jesus' words. He says, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Can you imagine the reward in eternity for these men that they'll get to enjoy on and on and on? In light of all that, I do want to suggest a few next steps for you. If this has landed on you in any way, there might be some relevant step you could take. And one of them would be to identify in your own life a human concern that has captured your focus and resources. Maybe you're feeling pulled towards something that involves greater comfort and ease and conservation. Maybe you're, you're pulled towards something that feels safer. But maybe God is calling you to something riskier. Maybe God's leading you towards some wildly unreasonable sacrifice. And you, when it comes to mind, you're like, no way, I'm not doing that. It's not going to happen. And maybe all the hesitations and the arguments just spring up in your mind, and you just need to look at those and say, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to follow Jesus. For some here, I think perhaps the biggest, riskiest decision would be to go all in with Jesus for the very first time to truly establish him as the Lord of your life, as the one who now directs you from this point forward. When Jesus told Peter, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die, one of the reasons that he did that was for you and for me. For each of us sitting here, Jesus went to the cross to pay for this sin that blocks us from having eternal life and blocks us from a right relationship with God. And so Jesus, even maybe even in those words to Peter, and the disciples, he had some of us in mind. If you want to decide to be a follower, a, a fully submit to Jesus as Lord of your life, write that down on your card, and we'd lo I'd love to talk more about that with you. Another next step for you might be this, is to consider joining our training programs when they're offered. And there's a few different ways that we really help people go more all in with Jesus. And uh, uh, as, as Steve Saint says, Go all in. Hold nothing back. Give God all you've got. And sometimes what that means is we've need, we need to be willing to put more on the line to get the training and the development 
and the sacrifice needed. And so one of, one of the training programs we have is called Discipleship Groups. It's a very intense uh, commitment based where you learn uh, quiet time, prayer, scripture memory, evangelism, all kinds of things to really be rooted. Uh, last May, we, had, we graduated our first class of discipleship groups. Here's a photo of those who went through the program and completed it all the way. And it was, this was a big highlight. And, and the amount of growth that you could see in these individuals was astonishing. Another program is called North Star. And this goes up a level. It's, it's, a tr it's training for lay leaders in the church. The term lay leader means, lay means just normal, regular people, like not pastors. If you're not a pastor, you can become a leader that has significant weight and influence in our church for the God's kingdom. North Star is a program that we haven't even started here yet. I've been, help, I've been a help in leading it at other churches. We haven't launched it here yet because we haven't uh, quite got to where we have enough people ready to make this kind of commitment and to get this kind of training. But I wanted to throw it out there because Lord willing, when it's offered, you might consider diving in. And then the third training program that we have that's done through our church network is called Antioch Project. And this goes up another level. It's training for people that want to go into full-time ministry, maybe as pastors or missionaries or go on and start a church with a team somewhere. And it's, it's a very intensive five-year training program for people that want to be developed and really go all in and making their life. You get to a point in your life, some of us, where you're like, all right, whatever I do, it's going to be for God's kingdom. I'm just going to put all my resources at the Lord's disposal, and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. So these are, these are three programs that we have either offered or have yet to offer, and all of them require membership at our church. There's got to at least be the baseline commitment. Um, you heard, you've heard maybe over the last few weeks that we have a membership class coming up next Sunday. I'd encourage you to check that out. And then I have one more next step you might take today. And for this one, at the very beginning of this message, I encourage you to bring to mind a decision that's on the table for you. I said, like, th th sort, maybe there's something that you're wrestling with, you're sorting through, trying to land a plane on, some uncertainty in your life, a purchase you're making, maybe something related to planning. I want to give you a way to filter that decision based on what we looked at today. I would encourage you to make your decision in a way that requires greater faith or greater sacrifice or greater service. So as you're making that decision and you're, you're sorting through your priorities, if the, if the option you're leaning toward requires deeper faith and trust in the Lord, you're probably going in the right direction. If you're sorting through that decision and it's going to require greater service towards others, you're probably headed in the right direction. Or if you're really wrestling through a decision and you know it's going to cost you and it's going to require greater sacrifice, like Jesus, why don't you lean in that direction? This has been uh, um, like kind of like a mental filter for me over the years is how I make decisions. It's like these are, again, these, these I believe are God's concerns that contradict human concerns. These really help us sort through our life in a way that's hopefully pleasing to God. Bonus tip, by the way, as you make decisions, I'd encourage you never to make a decision that's just based only on money. Sometimes you, make it, you want to like get involved and you maybe feel God leading you towards something, but it's going to cost you money, and you're like, ah, the money, though, how am I going to pay for that, or how am I going to do that? If that's, your only, if that's the, the only or the biggest factor, just wipe it right off the table. Because if, if you're ever going to do something for the Lord and you're like, I don't know how, where's the money going to come from? 
That question has been asked by countless saints over decades, over centuries. You'll be in good company if you're wondering, where is the money going to come from? Because the Lord provides for his work when we, when we walk and follow him. So this morning, we're talking about sacrifice and following Jesus. And this idea of, of following him into a life of sacrifice may feel uncomfortable. Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't ask us to sacrifice just for the sake of pain, like he likes to see us writhe and squirm. He leads us into sacrifice because ultimately he wants you. All of those suffocating human concerns, the things that seem so reasonable on the surface, those human concerns prevent us from the fullest life that God has to offer. Human concerns block us from going into the deeper, richer walk of faith with the one who created each of us. So Jesus is leading you into a life of sacrifice. Will you walk into it? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your sacrifice to us. And we, as a congregation, we praise you and we thank you for the incredible depth of love and service and sacrifice that you made as you just put your face like flint as you walked toward the cross. Thank you for making a way for us to have new, everlasting life. Help us to sort through our decisions in our lives in a way that is in line with God's concerns, not our human concerns. Reveal to us, Lord, those things. And for those that are exploring faith and Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus, would you bring the necessary truth and enlightenment to mind that would guide them into everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.